Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church-strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Welcome to our Georgia Baptist Discipleship family, and you picked a great day to listen in because Brandon Gindon is with us alongside PJ Dunn, and I want to encourage you to make sure that you listen to the end today, because I'm going to be sharing with you what I believe is the most important lesson that I have ever learned as a disciple and as a dad. And we have Brandon Gindon with us. He's led churches worldwide to become healthy, effective in disciple making for Jesus. And he was ordained at Real Life Ministries in Post Fall, Idaho. Uh, he planted Real Life Ministries in Texas in 2016. He's authored and co-authored several publications on biblical discipleship, including Disciple Making Culture, which is a, a book that we'll be diving into today. Another one called Stay the Course and the Real Life Discipleship Training Manual, which many of you have been through. So he and his wife, Amber, have multiple children, been married for 20 years, and we're just super excited. And probably the thing that's made him one of my most favorite people in the world is that he's a bow hunter and avid outdoorsman. Maybe he'll tell us a little bit about that. Uh, PJ Dunn's also with us. He's our dis discipleship consultant for our northern regions here in Georgia and has a passion for discipleship, disciple making, and specifically in the area of single adult disciple making. He's the president of Table for One Ministries. In addition to being one of our uh, full-time consultants, PJ is an uh, an author, a speaker, a content creator, IT specialist, and a close, trusted friend. Now, fun fact about PJ, because many of you guys have been watching this, he plays the sousaphone, which I literally had to go Google search because I don't even know what that is. But apparently, you have to be super awesome to be able to play that because you play it and you walk. So, PJ, you're one of those guys who's dancing and playing in the marching band. Is that the deal? I am. Yeah. And I just draw a lot of attention to myself in the back. <laughs> and, you know, you, you have to be a certain stature to even hold a sousaphone. So uh, that's this says a lot in itself, but oh, that was a lot God. of fun a lifetime ago. Oh, my gosh. Now, Brandon, <laughs> tell me uh, real quick your yeah. favorite hunting experience. Wow. Uh, my favorite hunting experience was probably in 2011, um, bow hunting uh, with my dad and I. Um, together uh mm. we called we called in a a bull a bull elk together that um was um the biggest bull i've i've ever taken with a bow and it was just an incredible day we we're fighting a lot of weather elements and um um it was just a kind of a teamwork thing that we did and and um i ended up uh taking that bull at uh, seven yards with my bow oh and my um 
it, it ended up being quite a quite an ordeal. Um, when we were packing him out, we had to deal with some wolves, and um, uh, wow. that was that was interesting. That got uh, intense, and uh, yeah, it was it was quite a story. He and I still reminisce on um, how that whole day unfolded, and and uh, yeah, that was probably one of my one of my greatest of all times. So. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. Sounds a lot like the local church. Big win immediately followed by wolves coming after you. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, well, now that we've alienated the majority of our audience today because we talked about hunting, uh, let me remind our audience that our team has resources to give away. And if you leave a comment, you'll get entered into a $50 gift card in, in a book or maybe multiple books. And if you share today's broadcast, you'll get double entry into the giveaway. And PJ Dunn just may give you a role in his new, slightly anticipated documentary entitled Scott Destroyed My Life by Moving Me to Georgia the Day the Pandemic Began. <laughs> PJ Dunn. Written. Yeah, it's still being written. It's a fun one. There you go. <laughs> Kick us off, bro. Oh, man. Uh, that is quite the intro. Thank you, Scott. And um, just some, just what I want to dive in. So, uh, Disciple Making Culture, we read as a team of consultants, uh, different books, and we dive into them and we really want to, um, you know, see, see what the Lord is saying, like what we're hearing in the local church and then how that can be relevant. And so when we were, when we were talking about this one, my, my heart just lit up and it's interesting how you can read different books and different people will be like, man, that one really resonated with me. Well, the team knows, like we were reading this and I got excited from the get go because, uh, Brandon really unpacks just the highest aim in scripture is love. And he kicks off this whole culture, this idea of culture um, with love, and that love must be the defining characteristic in a church culture. And, and that's extremely hard. Like, we can just say that, but that's, there's not really a curriculum that just fixes that problem. It's a lot more um, holistic uh, of an issue, and we're going to kind of talk about that today. But um, in, in the book, one of my favorite quotes, and um, I've been uh, blessed to be able to, to preach a lot in the last two years uh, all around Southwest Georgia and some in North Georgia now. Um, but I say this quote often a lot, that without love, your ministry efforts are worthless. And it's just a, a gut punch. Um, to the local church that that does a lot of things that that keeps us busy, but if we don't do them with love, those those efforts are worthless. And um, and and just kind of diving into that, Brandon, I I just want to know, um, um, you know, why is love the core starting place of your efforts uh, to create a disciple making culture? Why did you pick that unique starting spot? Well, I think we've got to go back to, I think, if we're going to build a culture within the church, a disciple-making culture, we have to go and, and we are imitating Christ, um, as Paul tells and, and commends the Corinthian or the, the Thessal, church in Thessalonica, that, that they had imitated them as they had imitated Christ. This principle of imitation um, is core at disciple-making. And so if we look at the concept of love, we go to go to look at God's heart for mankind. And, and Jesus is our, our example. He is the greatest disciple maker to ever walk the face of the earth. His model is the standard of who he is. And so why at this book is, is that is at the core of the whole motivation of disciple making. It is the end to me, it is the end goal of spiritual maturity that a person grows in their spiritual maturity, not because of their knowledge, it's because of their love for God and love for others. And so love is at the core of who Jesus Christ is. Mm. And so this, that is our starting point. 
when we, you know, we take the verse that we all know for God so loved the world that he gave, right? His motivation, if you would say his value, what God values is love. He loves his kids. The motivation for him sending his son was love. Everything that Jesus did even in saying the hard things, challenging the Pharisees, confronting his disciples, everything was done from this position of love. And so I thought when I was, when we sat down to write this, this book and I was processing it and even talking about it with my team is when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says to love your, the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus's response to the question of what is most important. his response is to love God and love each other. And he doesn't separate those two things. The two things are intimately woven together, loving God and loving each other. Mm. The crowd asked, or or the lawyer that asked him, he asked, what's the greatest? And Jesus doesn't give one. He gives two commandments, I believe intentionally, because God doesn't separate those things. So when we're going to talk about a culture and building a culture of disciple making, you had better start at the principle of love because it's at the core of who God is. It's at the core of what he values. It's at the core of what, what the church should exhibit. Yeah. Wow. And, and, you know, uh, Paul Miller says it uh, this way um, that love is highly inefficient and highly effective in his book. And, and it really is like the reason we don't do this and the reason it's number one is because it's hard. Like it's really hard to love God and love others and honor him and be God's love. And so like I use that first John four passage, right? Like the only way we're going to know God's love is if we are God's love to one another. Right. Right. And that's like a hard challenge. That's a hard charge. Um, It'd be much easier if I just had to, to go to a small group and just do my Bible study and say, it's just knowledge, but that love characteristic is um is hard to obtain why do you think that's such a hard place and why we put it further down the list of things for disciple making and you put it number one well i think the the principle i think you got to look at it and, and ask about how it's defined so i think the major mistake that the church is making and we're, i'm watching it happen all around us is that we've changed the definition love equals acceptance well, sometimes that's not what love means. Love in the sense of agape love is about selfish, uh, about service and self-sacrifice. It's about dying to self. It's about, it's about caring for that person. Well, sometimes that may mean saying really hard things to someone. Hmm. Sometimes the most loving thing that we could ever do is confront the sin in a person's life, not from a place of judge, being judgmental because we, we, we're all broken. But if I love somebody, I need to say hard truth to them. And we've changed these definitions in, in the culture. And it's, it's, it's caused to me uh, this huge mess. And so we have to get back to a biblical definition and understand that it is important. And to know it is hard to love each other. It is hard because we battle a sin nature. We battle a culture around us all the time that, that meaning the, the greater human race that we're, we're always trying to, because of sin, drift away from the things of God where definitions are being changed uh, and, and expectations that we have instead of going, no, Jesus is the plumb line. The word of God is, is our, is our plumb line. What does it say and how did, did God define it? 
Jesus said hard things to his disciples. He challenged them. He said hard things to people. He, we didn't, he didn't accept everything and, and be accepting. He was loving. And that meant at times to say, hey, you know, to go and sin no more. Um, but also to love people that were marginalized and to be there for them and care for them and, and, and to notice them and pay attention to them. And so I, I think Jesus is, you know, I, I say it all the time is he is our model. He's who we are to be imitating. And so I think, yeah, it was hard. It was incredibly hard for him in, in a sense, in, in, in the human side of Jesus to love his disciples. They were knuckleheads at times, mm-hmm. um, but he demonstrated that he did. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's good. And I want to lay go onto PJ's questions for just a second, because I've learned that uh, here recently that there are some things in life that can only be pulled and not pushed, like muscles, gravity, my eight month old party Yorkie on a leash trying to make her walk. Um, <laughs> then you, you know, you can pull her, but you can't push her. You can't make her do anything. But in your book, you had a quote and it said, a loving culture does not require us to solve everyone's problems. Can you unpack that for just a, a moment? Because I really think there's gold for us to mine out of that statement. Yeah, I, I think that we have bought into a idea that it's our job to fix to fix everybody. Discipleship is about <clears throat> me fixing you, correcting you in your sin. You know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is there's God's part, there's my part, and there's their part. Hmm. God asks me to do my part, and my part is to sit with somebody that's really hurting. My part might be to challenge them with the truth, but at the end of the day, I can't fix them. If we were all to be honest and ask ourselves, have you ever fixed anyone? The answer is no. We don't have that ability. Now, the Holy Spirit can. That's what he does. That's his part. So, what often happens with, with people, it happens in our marriages, it happens, you know, in these discipling relationships, is we listen to people with the intent to respond. And so I'm going to then, I'm going to listen to you so that I respond in a way where I'm going to tell you whether you're right or wrong or what you need to do. So really, your question is about me and me feeling good about me. That's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about me walking alongside you to help guide or lead you to a deeper understanding of who God is. Well, I can't do that if I don't, unless I listen with the intent to understand you. And that's very different than listening to with the intent to respond. I want to understand because I want to know your story. I want to know what, what you do struggle with. I want to know what your hopes and dreams are. I want to know what God's doing in your life. I want to understand where you're coming from so that I can better help lead or guide you, do my part to help you in your walk with Christ. When you think about it, I think, you know, Jesus asked like 307 questions. I mean, when you go, when you go follow what he did, he modeled this constant listening to the people around him. And he asked questions to understand them. He was God. He didn't have to do that. Hmm. Is God, but he did it because he was modeling something. He was modeling something relationally. And so I think, you know, to, to your point about this, about this question is to realize I, I can't fix anybody. That's a false belief. My job is to point them to the one that can fix them. And I best do that by listening to understand them. And when I do, I can come alongside and do my part well. They have to do their part. 
but I know that God's going to do his part a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. So those are some of the kind of fundamental things that I think I've learned from the scriptures and watching closely in the scriptures of what Jesus did with his 12. I agree with you, Brandon. And that is, for me, that is liberating that I'm not responsible for their decisions, good or bad, you know, that God does his part. I do my part. They have their part. Fantastic. PJ. Gosh. Yeah. And I was, um, like ministry is messy. And so I've, I've spent 15 years local, local ministry. And, um, and there's just been so many people that come to mind as you're talking where, where we're like, I have the answer, just do it. Right. But I can't make them do it. <laughs> not, not, nobody could do that for me. And I was stubborn and I had to, you know, the Lord had to work in my heart, but I needed somebody to guide me in that direction. And that's a big part of loving people. And that takes time. And so often we want like a quick fix to our culture issue um, where we say, well, we'll just love everybody because we're down in the South. And so we do potlucks. We're happy. We're friendly. We shake hands and everything. Everything's nice. Right. But that's not the kind of love that we're talking about. We're talking about the love that that goes beyond and is at their house at midnight when they're when they're having depression that is so deep, they don't know how to process it. And that takes hours and you don't get sleep and they don't get sleep, but their life has changed for it. And until you've invested that way in somebody and just you want so badly for it to change and you pray and you say, God, I need you to do this. But at the end of the day, we can only reach out. And that person has to take the next step and reach back and they have to say, okay, I'm going to be loved by God in this way. And so, so many issues to unpack um, that really resolve around that I can't solve everybody's problems um, in local ministry. So when Scott, when you say it's, it's liberating, like that was that moment for me um, when I was, when I was in high school and I had a, a friend who was getting married and I'm like, you don't need to be getting married. Like you're marrying this girl. I don't even know why you're marrying this girl. It's not going to work. So I tell him he's not, don't, you're not going to do it. You know, we get all the way to the wedding day. Are you going to be there? And I'm like, man, I'll be here to support you. But like, I really don't think this is a great idea. 13 months later, they're divorced. Right. And they become another statistic. And I remember thinking, how is it possible that you had all the answers in front of you and still chose to do something else? And I knew that that was a bad choice And that. And I remember just thinking that's because it's not all about you, PJ, mm. like the Holy spirit has to be involved. It's not just truth, but it's truth and love. It's not just saying that that's the way that God wants us to act, but praying Lord, let the spirit stir in their lives so that they would follow you and act more like you. So you really got me riled up, Brandon, and uh, there's a reason I'm fanboying <laughs> right now over this book, as you can tell. So um, let me let me ask both of you uh, this question. Scott, I'll ask you first. Um, like, in what ways have you seen a culture of disciple making create a lasting impact? You know, you've served in local ministry oh. for a long time. And so how do you see that lasting impact of, of uh, culture of disciple making happen? Yeah, one, uh, one, I would say legacy, you know, that it's li it lives beyond your ministry. I've, I've always wanted to when I, when I go to a place, and fortunately, the Lord's allowed me to be places long-term. I was in one full-time position 10 years, and then the latest one, I was there 16 years before coming to, to Georgia. But given, given something, pouring your heart into something that you know is that kingdom impact legacy, and I think about a guy named Blake Lewis, came through the ministry, went to college, served some part-time places. We hired him full-time as our middle school minister, and he's still serving. And he got his master's while I was there. And uh, this time next year, maybe a year and a half, he'll be finishing with his doctorate and will be one of the most um, impactful student ministry voices in the nation. Well, he came through that ministry and even developed what we have from an overarching perspective plan 
to something that was the same language, but focused on the students. So when you come to that church, there is a, a plan that he can present to those parents to say, here's what we want for your child to look like when they graduate, and here's the process they're going to go through. Teresa Small in the children's ministry did the same thing. So that's one way that I've seen just having a specific intentional plan works. Um, another work that I would say, I would say value, you know, giving your, your church members something to give their life to that has eternal impact. And because uh, so many people are waking up and they're like feeling, you know, maybe those of you are watching, maybe you're even feeling like this right now. Like there's got to be more to this life than, I, than what I'm living. You know, I feel like I was made for more than what is going on here. Well, well, living out the life of a disciple and a disciple maker is that thing that a person can say, hey, this is what I was made for. And a third thing I would say is attractional. And you don't want to take this too far because obviously the goal of disciple making is not to be attractional, but it is super helpful when people in your ministry area know who you are and what you're about. Like, like if you give them a biblical goal of, of making mature disciples that replicate and you have a clear plan in place for all your members to get there from cradle to grave, that's huge. Yeah. Brandon, same, same question to you, right? And I know you've had a, you've kind of had a unique um, perspective of this working with Jim and now and planting and going around the world and doing those things. Cause you want to create this, this thing, this culture of disciple making everywhere that you go. So, so just tell us like, how, do, how does it stick around? How does it have a lasting impact? Yeah, I, I think the first place that I would start is to everybody that's listening is the starting place is with you is to look in the mirror and to ask, uh, ask hard questions to ask yourself, am I obediently living out the great commission? We've, we, again, in the church, we've adopted this idea. We've, we've even somewhat promoted it or allowed it in the church is that accomplishing the great commission is optional. It's not optional. It is what Jesus, the King of the universe gave to his people that call themselves his disciples to go and accomplish and to ask ourselves, am I living this out with my life? Have I kept it in my life to it? No matter what I do for an occupation, this isn't just, he didn't just say, well, all the clergy that are going to be part of the church are going to go accomplish. No, it's to every person that is a disciple of Jesus was given this great commission. And so it has to start with you as a lifestyle. And, and I watch a lot of times <clears throat> pastors will kind of want to jump over and go right to the strategic. How do I implement this as, a, as in my church? To, and and that, that's, that's a valid question but you cannot pass by the, the question for yourself, am I living this out? And, and I can't tell you how many times I've had the conversation with pastors, pastors that have said to me, I've never been discipled and I don't know how to make a disciple. And, and I would say, awesome. I'm glad that you see it and that you recognize it. Okay, let's start working on it because there's great resources out there. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm part of is the RDN, um, the Relational Discipleship Network. And we help and equip churches to do that through the network. Um, and then there's other things that, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful in, in the book to point them in that direction. But I can't use it as an excuse. I have to go after it and learn how to, how to do this. And so to make a lasting impact, it has to start with, with the leaders, the people that are leading in the church. Because, you know, my, Jim, my friend Jim Putman says all the time, as the head goes, the body follows. That is true. Yes. Yeah. If you're expecting your church to be a disciple-making church, but none of the elders, none of the staff, the senior pastor especially, is not actually making disciples, it's, it's going to happen at an unintentional, 
um, weak level at best in your church. And so I think to have a lasting impact, it needs to start there and it needs to be part of the culture that this is not an option. And I have people leave our church because they will, I mean, I've literally had people say to me, look, I just want to show up and get my Jesus fix and go home. Mm. Well, the last time I, you know, looked at this, I didn't know that Jesus was a drug and, you know, that's not what he came to this earth and died for is so that you can get a fix. Um, We, we, this is, this is a mission that we're called to as his people. And so to help creating within the culture for a lasting impact, it has to start with you. It has to be something we're committed to for life. And it's going, you know, you said it earlier, it, 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 it's messy with people. You got to change your expectations. If you think this is this great and wonderful and easy and, and this is going to make everything fantastic, you, you've been sold a bill of goods. The more you walk down this narrow ancient path that Jesus modeled, it's going to be hard, messy. Um, you're going to get involved in people's lives. They're going to quit. They're going to walk away. They're going it, to, it's hard. I it's, it's part of it. Yeah. And every, every once in a while you get a Judas in there too, right? When you're disciple making right. and, and you never, you never know. And that hurts us. And so then we, when we get wounded, it's harder to go back out because we go, well, that one, that one kind of hurt. Right. And you, and you said it this way in the book, right? Strategy won't make a lasting impact if disciple making is not who we are. And one right. of the great things that we do here in Georgia is that through the cooperative program uh, with our with our churches, we are funded. And, and with that, we can go move the needle in discipleship. And so a lot of times it's learning from our 3,600 churches and going out there and doing that. But at the consultant level, we're in the field, we're with pastors, because we do want to see that lasting impact, right? Because we don't want to just give a strategy and say, well, I hope that works. I'll check in with you next year. Like we want to, we want to help show you and model that too. Like, this is what it looks like to have a a long-term relationship. This is what, and it's hard because you you, just like the local church, you're going to say, man, I just wish I had more people. If I had more staff, if I could pay more people, if I could do more things, then we'd get there. But the reality is even in the local church, that's not really the issue. The issue is culture. And we have to have this culture of disciple making. Otherwise we just, we just don't focus on it. Right. Scott. That's good. That's good. I tell you one thing that I want to highlight right here, Brandon, because you said something that I really think is is worth repeating because disciple making is not easier and it's not less messy, but it is more impactful because we have a lot of leaders that that are like we're not having convinced them that being a disciple maker and setting up disciple making systems is what we've got to do. But we do have a lot of them that aren't doing it and they don't know where to start. And we want to make sure that we're sharing the correct message that it's not easier and it's not less messy, but it is more impactful. That is a thing that you can give your life to that is biblical. So uh, well-spoken, Brandon. Now you're writing your book that creating a a disciple-making culture um, requires careful pruning. Of course, I read John 15. That's one of my favorite passages about how the master gardener prunes his people. And so my question for you is how do pastors and disciple-makers uh, that may be watching or listening, how do they do that in terms of pruning, you know, the people and the processes? Um, help us understand that a little better. Okay, I think I would go back to a point you were just making, you know, in, in the churches that are all listening. And, and, and it's to start at this place to understand what is the win. For some that think, well, I have to have this church of 100, 500, 1,000, 10,000, whatever that it is, I would really challenge that notion and, and to say, hold on a second. You're called to accomplish the Great Commission and to go and make disciples and to do that well and to do your part. 
sometimes some of the best disciple makers that I've ever met in my life are pastoring a church of 120 and they're in a little community and they're doing the best that they can. And, and they're discipling five or six or seven guys really, really well. And so I just would challenge or encourage churches to, to really evaluate that, that win. And what is that win? Because that helps you understand, well, what is it that I'm pruning? If I know what my goal is and what I'm trying to accomplish, then I can look at it and go, well, what's getting in the way of that? Is my schedule so filled with a bunch of stuff that doesn't help facilitate disciple making that I need to clean up or cut away? You know, I put this in the, in the book, one of my staff, uh, Judy Cintron, she says the statement all the time, are you interruptible? Can, can, because if you're going to be the disciple maker, you're going to be interrupted. Are you interruptible? Can you, if somebody says, I really need help, I need, I want to be invested in, can you do that? So if I know what the win is and what I'm trying to, to build in this culture and disciple people, then I start cutting away the things that, that just don't produce that. Asking yourself, is this just a life drain on me? Why am I doing this? Is it a sacred kind of a sacred cow in my life that we're doing it? Are there things in our church that we're doing when we're doing them because we've done them forever and we're afraid to cut them? I would just put on the lenses of, of being a disciple maker and asking hard questions. What is the win at the end of the day? What am I held accountable for? And, and start to, you know, take the time to make those adjustments. And I would encourage you don't, swing the pendulum and cut everything and, and, you know, be careful of that, do it with wisdom. And over time, seek wise counsel, but you got to know the when and where you're going and start trimming away the things that take away or drain from that greater mission. Hmm. Um, you know, uh, what, what this, this is where my head was on this question. It was like, we have to measure to scripture, not programs. And that's really hard to say because we, we know we instill strategies and programs to help us achieve what scripture is measuring. But when we forget, like, are you exhibiting the fruit of the spirit? When we forget how to love each other, like first Corinthians 13, when we forget that we need to be God's love to everybody, like first John four, like those core principles of loving um, aren't always going to show up in a program. And so, yes, we do VBS, but that doesn't mean we do VBS with those core measure. So did VBS exhibit first Corinthians 13, you know, is it, or is it first John four, is it being God's love to the community? Cause, cause we've heard the debate for years, you know, like, why do we do uh, trunk or treat, you know, and everybody's got like a spirited uh, reason for why they do uh, trunk or treat. But for me, it's always been because we get to be God's love. We get to throw out some candy and we get to say, Hey, this is God's love to the community. And, and that may not show up in some of these other categories that are programs, but it does show up in being God's love. And I'm not, I'm going to get some hate mail. So I can, I can see it coming up in the group chats right now. And so I also use the word Halloween on a broadcast. So don't fire me, Scott. <laughs> that's so great. But yeah. Well, that's, that's fantastic. And, uh, and now, Brandon, one of the key things that really we talk about a lot on here is that program driven versus um, disciple making as a, as a process, as a personal endeavor. Just maybe real quick, what would you say to the leaders who are going to be watching that that grew up like I did in a programmatic approach, but they're they're hearing you're talking about disciple making and, and they've maybe looked at some of the real life discipleship 
processes and what it takes there. What would you say to those leaders in terms of where to start if they want to make this shift to really be great commission believers, disciples who create that in their churches in, in terms of a, a culture? Yeah, I, I, not to sound too repetitive, but I would start with yourself and the immediate people that are around you. Start, start discipling a group of men or women that are immediately around you. Um, you know, take and go through, go through the, the disciple making culture book together The you know, we call it the white workbook, the real life discipleship training manual, take a group of people and go through that. Um, and, and just start in your own living room, start in your, in a, in a coffee shop nearby where you're starting to disciple and, and do, and, and to live it out, you know, programs in and of themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. There's some programs, there's a few programs that we yeah. do here in our church but they all have the, the end goal in mind. We are going to funnel people into discipling relationships. That's what they lead to. And so to being able to look at some of what you do programmatically and go, does that lead people into a discipling uh, relational environment where they can be discipled? If it doesn't, then either adjust the program or cut it um, of how you move people in. And so ask those critical thinking questions. And I, and I, I want to put this on because I think it's important. In First in Thessalonians, Paul says there at the end of chapter two, he, he says, what is, what do we have to brag about? Uh, you know, at the end of everything that we've done, what do we have to brag about? And he says, is it not you? Are you not our crown? Are, are, that, that, that chapter, First Thessalonians chapter two is so filled with the principle of disciple making. And he concludes it with the people are our crown, our, our joy, our glory. That's the only thing we have to brag about. And so to ask yourself to look at it and go, when this is all done and I stand before the Lord. And, and he called me to be obedient to his great commission. Have I invested in the people around me? Have I raised people up to be strong disciples of Jesus Christ? It has to start with me beyond any program, beyond any sermon that you preach, beyond any of those things. Are you making disciples? Yeah, well, and and, and uh, at the risk of what Bill Hall said, being a, a publicist, I do want to plug your your book for that reason. And so um, the staying the course, you know, it, it really is like our practices and our principles and like a, this is how to really stay in the game uh, long term on the things that you're talking about, because um, the disciple makers that are watching today, pastors that are watching today, we get fired up at a conference. We get fired up at one of these kind of things. And then before we know it, six months passed and nothing changed. Or we, we started a program and I was just talking to a leader last night and he said, I started these ministry teams last year and they fizzled out, you know, and they didn't do it. Like staying the course is the hard thing. You know, like starting mm -hmm. sometimes isn't as much the issue in the local churches. Are we doing it in year in year three? So I like that you have that that booklet available. That's something that we'll we'll put in the chat as well and go from there. Um, go ahead, Scott. Yeah, I tell you what, let me just mention here as well, as we begin to land the drone here for this broadcast, our team has um, learning communities spread out all over Georgia. And, uh, and if you're in a different state or a different country and you'd love to connect with others, if you'll drop something in the chat, we'll try to help you connect with the right people as well. But they exist to help you with what Brandon was just talking about, that, that idea of where to start. 
how do we make this shift? What is my next step as a disciple, as a disciple maker in leading my church to become a disciple making church? That's one of the things I love about this book. So Brandon, PJ, thank you guys for um, just this discussion today for, for helping our Georgia Baptist discipleship tribe. And, and as we conclude this, I want to leave um, you with a throw. Just, just drill down with a thought from that I heard Brandon say just now, because he talked about how loving Jesus and others needs to be that starting point. And my 11-year-old son, Caleb, was in an accident early March where he broke both bones in his and his dominant arm, creating this open wound. He's an elite athlete. And for that experience, it was pretty devastating. Infection set in the bone. We spent 13 nights at the Children's Hospital in uh, um, Atlanta. And when it happened, I get in my truck, I run up there, you know, carefully put him in the truck. And for about 40 minutes, I heard him calling out, help me, Jesus. Please help me, Jesus. Please, please help me, Jesus over and over and over, like so much so that it's still, those words ring in my ears and it wakes me up at night. But on that ride uh, to the ER, Caleb reached between my ridge cave and my arm and then he was asking to hold my hand. So I reached back with my left hand and his good hand and I'm, and I'm just holding it and I'm telling him, daddy's here now, I got you. Caleb, I got you and everything's gonna be okay. In that moment, which was more important, what I could do for Caleb or simply my presence. You see, it was the presence of the father that gave him the courage and the confidence and the comfort that he needed to know he could get through that excruciating experience. You see, friends, on this broadcast, we talk a lot about X's and O's, strategy and process, but at the basic level, like Brandon just said, the most important element of your walk as a disciple and disciple maker is this lesson to learn. I must learn to be with Jesus before I seek to do for Jesus and expect from Jesus. That's the greatest lesson perhaps that I have learned as an adult, as a disciple and disciple maker, because being with Jesus gives us the confidence and the authority that everything else is going to be possible. Brandon, PJ, love you guys. Thanks for jumping on. Y'all are just a home run duo. Lana Melton, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we are only able to do this broadcast because you give generously to the cooperative program. So thanks for doing that. And I pray that today's discussion with Brandon Gindon and PJ Dunn will equip and inspire you to make world-impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.